Um, during my adolescent years, I attended a predominant Black church. Um, the church is called Bethesda House of Mercy Church. This is located down the street from Garden City. Um, this church experience was so foundational um, to my understanding of God in a safe place for my friends and family. Um, a place, it's a place that has boundless joy and great sorrow. I can vaguely remember times when we would sit in the back of church to fall asleep or helping my great uncle with tithing and prayer or watching my cousin play the drums during a service or seeing someone shout, dance and collapse when a revelation hit their brown bodies. I was just like, whoa, what the heck is going on? Um, there were countless joyous moments at this church, but there were also great sorrows at this church. It was a memorial place where mothers grieved the loss of their children and siblings grieving the loss of siblings. It was a place where I first wept over a loved one it's a place where lamenting was uncomfortable, yet permitted. All that to say, the proverb that I heard the most in this church, and I'm pretty sure you can find it in any other African-American tradition, and the proverb is, God is good. All the time, God is good. The pastor would say, God is good, and the church will respond and say, all the time. And the, the leader will also say in return, God is good. This saying affirmed our faith. No matter the circumstance, we shattered it from our souls. On our best days, we believed it. And on our worst days, we wrestled and doubted the experience of it. So as I got older, I too wrestled with this reality of the phrase, God is good. All the time, God is good. When life hits you hard, you try your best never to interact with doubt. Or people may smell it on you and call you names or give you a pep talk to call on your spiritual disciplines. They would say things to me, and I can remember saying, just try harder and hold your smile a lot longer so no one knows what's going on inside. How many of you would say that you question or wrestle if God's goodness and presence is with you at all times? You can utilize the chat. You can think about it. Um, but how many, how many of you think you wrestle with that all the time. God is good. All the time, his presence is, is near you. You can think about that again. You can put it in a chat, but ponder on that. But as we grow in our faith, we come to realize this, that God reassures us of his goodness and presence, even in our brokenness. I'm going to say that again. God reassures us of his goodness and presence, even in our brokenness. Let's pray, um, and then we'll 
we'll talk about Exodus 19. So if you can bow your head with me and let's just revere the Lord together and uh, ushering up a word of prayer before him. God, as we sit in our bodies this morning, as we wrestle with the uh, impulse to do the next thing, I pray that you will keep us in our bodies this morning, that you would help us look towards you, that your word would speak to us this day. Lord, in your word, you said your word is alive and strong and it pierces the human heart. So may your word pierce us this morning and lead us closer to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Exodus 19. I'm going to read verse 1 to 9. Um, I am reading um, from the NLT version. Um, usually my one I prefer the most, but I'll read it. It says this, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob and now to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on earth. From all, for all the earth belongs to me. You will be a kingdom, a priest, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people respond together. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to, the, to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will also always trust you. Before we can understand the significance of what's happening here in chapter 19, we need to journey back to the beginning of Exodus to highlight some stories that lead up to the scene of Mount Sinai so that we can see the people of Israel wrestling with this idea that God's goodness and presence is with them always. I want to attempt to answer the question, Israel's question, in Exodus 17, 7, when they said this, is the Lord here with us or not? Again, that they said, is the Lord here with us or not? So you can remember in the beginning of Exodus, the people of Israel become slaves in the foreign land, not just slaves, but slaves for 430 years. It's a long time. They have been groaning for generations with no sign of relief. There are no signs of freedom, no signs of justice. Their bodies and minds are repeatedly worn down 
with crushing labor. Their lives have been always vulnerable, always accessible to violence and suffering. In addition to that, the tragedy of families witnessing the deep loss of the first, their firstborn drowning in the Nile River. I don't know how many of you uh, have lost your first child or know someone else who have lost their first child. Um, that is not easy. Hold on, my computer is freaking out. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Great. Okay, my computer was just like blinking. I was like, oh no, don't do it. Yeah. You can hear right. me. You can hear me. Thank you. Yeah, so the, the, the families have experienced deep loss and deep sorrow from... Hold on a second. Uh... Yes, so they experience deep sorrow and deep pain. I'm pretty sure we know someone or know someone else who have experienced similar things. The injustice, the pain, the harm alone can leave them to wrestle if God, if the God they serve is good and present. As this ambiguity, belief seems to linger in the hearts of the people, Moses is born. So everyone knows what Moses is, is history. He tries to do things on his own, but it doesn't work. He flees to Midian. So after 40 years of being in Midian, Moses returns and disturbs the labor and perceived peace of Israel. They now have to gather their own straw to make their quota for brick. They cried out to Pharaoh, but he refused to heed their cry. And he mocks them as well. He repeats his accusation of calling them lazy. This produced nothing but discouragement and tension between Moses and the Israelites. It did not mend also their hearts to reality of God's goodness and presence. Next, we journey through the 10, the ten plagues in chapter 7 to 12. I am not convinced that there was a spark of hope as the Israelites watch God perform different miracles against their enemies. Yet, their immediate circumstance have not changed. They are still in bondage. They are still enslaved to the Egyptians. In Exodus 14, the Israelites finally leave Egypt. But the departure was not easy. Pharaoh and his army decide to pursue the Israelites. The Israelites panic and fear. The last thing they expect is to pause for a moment at the sea. Again, they seem to wrestle with the reality of God's goodness and presence being with them. Listen to what they say in verse 11 and 12. What did you, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you, why have you done this to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that we what had happened while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let's be slaves to the Egyptians. 
It is better to be slaves in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. See, their doubt in God's goodness and presence followed them from Egypt into the wilderness. The desert is a challenging place for the Israelites. See, it's easy to condemn them as faithless. But life was hard in Egypt, and it must have been harder still in the unknown desert through which they were traveling. It's not easy for them to live, not only because of the harsh surroundings, but also because of the recourse in a barren land is to trust God completely. And we can see that throughout Exodus, they struggle to do that. So after Moses and Miriam's worship song, this great kind of moment for them when they cross the Red Sea, they're singing, they're celebrating what the Lord has done, they're celebrating his victory, but the water becomes bitter. And we find them again, wrestling with the reality of God's goodness and presence being with them. Listen to what they say in Exodus chapter 15, verse 24. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. Or in the wilderness of sin with demanded and quill. Listen to what they said. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us to death. Or in Rephidim, they said. But, tor but, but tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Or the last instance we talked about with the battle of the Am uh, Amalekites. Doesn't really say much of how they felt, but I'm pretty sure they were disoriented, angered, wounded, losing family fearing for their lives. It seems like everywhere they turned, the people wrestled with God. They constantly struggled against the notion, is the Lord here with us or not? They were not certain if he is good, if he is close. In their minds, the Israelites thought of themselves, what could come from God in our present situation if all we know of him is how he dealt with us in the past? He just doesn't care. As I was reading carefully through Exodus, I kept asking myself, and I was talking to Ruth and talking to Dennis, I'm like, why are they not convinced? <laughs> all these things are happening around them. God departed the Red Sea. He freed them from their slaveholders. Why are they not convinced? I found out that the supernatural did not seem to soothe their skepticism. Sure, there's a person who has all these things, but we do not know him. What they needed was a personal encounter with God. They needed to experience his realness, his proximity, and his holiness. From the time spent in Egypt and up to this point, Israel had an understanding that God was powerful and he did empower Moses. As you can see the common thread through Exodus, it says through Moses, God said this to the people. 
But Israel did not have their own personal burning bush revelation from God. They needed that revelation from him. And all that would change in Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai, the place that God promised to, uh, to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 12, is fulfilled. It says, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses' journey has come full circle. He met God on this mountain in chapter three, and he has now returned to him with the recently redeemed Israelites. The Israelites arrive and set up at camp in chapter, chapter 19, verse one and two, and immediately Moses climbs the mountain of God. This would not be his last trip. I don't know how he does it, but he goes up and down and up and down so many times. I cannot, I never climbed the mountain myself, but I know if this is probably a lot of work going up and down constantly. So he makes this, he makes three trips. And the first trip in verse four to six, Moses communicates God's message to Israel of his great love for his people. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my special people from among all the people on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. and You will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. This is an astonishing expression of intimacy. He assures them that they have a special place in his heart. He answers their doubting question, is the Lord here with us or not? With the yes, I'm with you. Yes, I have been traveling with you. Yes, I heard your cry. Yes, I have carried you through the 430 years of slavery, the deaths of the firstborn, the 10 plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the bitter water made drinkable, the manna and quail from heaven, the water from the rock, the victory of their Malachites, all of that, God reassures them of his goodness and presence. Now that they know, remember what God has done, that memory ought to motivate them to obey him and obey the covenant of the patriarchs. Israel's response is in faith. All the people agreed to the Lord's command, and they said, we would do whatever he says. We would do it. So Moses goes back up a second time and brings Israel answer to the Lord. God intended for this relationship to grow, so God told Moses that he will come and visit them. So God told Moses in verse 9, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you, and they will always trust you. For the third trip, Moses had to warn the people to stay away so God won't break out against them. Moses placed barricades around the mountain for a matter of public safety, 
he kind of show them that God is dangerous, that he is perfectly and supremely holy, that it is not safe to barge into his presence, but there is a way to do it. So here was the awesome dilemma that the Israelites faced. They were being drawn into a close relationship with God, who was too dangerous for them to approach. So how can they do that and be safe? The people cannot simply come as they are, so the Lord gives them an answer. He tells Moses to tell the people to prepare themselves, to consecrate themselves, to wash their clothes, and to abstain from sex. Perhaps this is a way of showing respect to the Lord and his holiness. So when they did that, the Lord showed up. He showed up so holy, so powerful that the, the, the mountain shook and the people trembled. In chapter 20, Moses, the people are trembling with fear and they, they tell Moses, we no longer want to hear him speak. You speak for us, Moses. The people have experienced their God and his holiness. He swoops down and interacts with his people to reassure them of his goodness, to reassure them of his presence, to reassure them of his holiness. He answers the question for them. Yes, I have been with you. Yes, I have been traveling with you. Yes, I have heard your cry. And yes, I have carried you on eagles' wings. So what does this story mean for us? What significance does this draw for us in our everyday life? Here's what I think it is. I thought so much about this scripture. Um, I, I kind of came to this understanding that we too have the same dialect as the Israelites. Often we say, is the Lord here with us or not? How many times have we voiced such a question? God did wonderful things before. Where is he now? With these serious questions, we begin to wrestle and doubt the existence of God's goodness and presence in our lives. See, so many of us are carrying now deep stories of pain, deep stories of sorrow, deep stories of uncertainty, so much to the point that it feels unbearable and unshakable, and we keep it to ourselves. And at times, we hate ourselves for it because we believe the notion, the pressure, that Christians are not supposed to doubt nor wrestle with divine things. But we are called, and that pressure, we are called to just believe because if you believe long enough, the doubt will erase itself from your memory. I know in my Christian circles, it's like, just believe and it will all be okay. I want to encourage you that you 
are free not to know everything God is doing. You have total permission to not be certain about godly things. This is why wonder is so beautiful, so mysterious, and something that God invites us into. I read a quote this morning that said this, release yourself from the tyranny of spiritual certainty. Doubt is not a threat to faith. It's faith that has finally taken off its mask. Be free to take the mask off. Speak words of compassion over yourself about an area of disbelief. I'm going to say it again. Speak compassion over yourself. In the area of disbelief, bring that to God because he wants our doubt. He wants the areas in our heart that we seem to be unsure about. I want to encourage you with this last thing. Whatever may be the tension or stress that you may be carrying, there's always lurking nearby the remembrance of God's goodness, caring goodness, an unwavering presence, whatever it may be that you're going through right now or have went through or experienced someone else go through, there is always nearby the remembrance of God's goodness and presence being with us. He has not abandoned us, even though it may feel like it. He is traveling with us, even though it may feel like he's not. He is not far from us, even though he may feel very distant. So just as the Israelites, he will lead us to himself so that all of you and all of me may be known before him, as well as the tenderness of his remembrance that he has carried us on eagle's wings. It's nothing that we have done. It is all about the God of the universe carrying us through. This is who we serve. This is what our father is like. This is the true God who assures us, reassures us of his goodness, of his presence, even in our brokenness. Speak compassion over yourselves, friends, and areas where you are doubting, areas where you are uncertain about. It's not a threat to your faith, but it is an area where you are able to take the mask off and be human. Let's pray, and we would uh, jump into our breakout rooms. Um, let's pray. Lord God, again, we bring our bodies to you. All of its wounds, all of its questions, all of its certainty, all of its uncertainty, all of its, all of it, Lord, all of ourselves to you. You do not just choose the parts of us that are good but you choose all of us, all of the parts of our bodies, Lord. So Lord, as we enter into this time of 
asking really honest questions. Give us the courage to be seen and known by others so that we may receive the love that you have for us today. Amen.